0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a fifteen-hundred-dollar first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to
1: score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off.
2: Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll talk about the very tiny blip in Arsenal's fortunes or major setback, as Sky Sports called it, the 1 1 draw away at St Mary's. <laughs> and we'll look ahead to the busy period coming up before the World Cup. Our guests this morning Art De Roche and Adrian Clark. Morning. Good morning.
3: Hello. How
1: are
2: you? Morning. Night. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you very, very much. Um, Before we talk about yesterday's game, today, 24th of October, marks 18 years since Arsenal's 49-game unbeaten Premier League run came to an end at Old Trafford when Mike Riley didn't give us anything. You think the referee was bad yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. Go back and have a watch of the tape of Mike Riley, refereeing us at Old Trafford in 2000 and... What was it for? Yeah. Uh, Oh, my God. What an awful, awful night. I was there. Were you there, Adrian, by the way?
1: No, I wasn't. But I was... Yeah, I was... Very deeply unhappy with the officiating and, and what went on, but I did love those games, I did love those United Arsenal games, yeah. They, me they too, were, they were theater, me
2: too. Art, yeah. oh, you were like a child when, you really, uh, <laughs> when, when so I'm not going to ask you if you were there, but of course, you do know about the Battle of the Buffet where Ses Fabregas allegedly threw a slice of pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, (laughs) I say allegedly, didn't he admit it? Well, anyway, we thought we'd ask, if you had been present, what buffet item would you have thrown and at who? Now, you can choose anyone. It doesn't have to be someone in that team. So uh, uh, if you want to throw a buffet buffet item at uh, a player or manager now, choose one. Oh, what about you?
3: The first item that came into my mind was a panini because you could kind of launch it like a javelin. (laughs) So it seemed quite practical, but I I just can't decide on who. So I think I'd just launch it and whoever it hits, it hits.
2: Right. Okay. The, the general, okay, fair enough. Generally just chuck it in the direction of opposition players or managers. And, uh, yeah. uh quite a fancy buffet, Adrian, a Panini, by the way, I was wow, say. Yeah. Um, I like, yeah. I haven't I mean, gone as fancy as that. I'll be honest with you. What have you got?
1: <laughs> I've got two. The first one's a little bit derogatory towards Ruud van Nistelrooy. Good. Because it because we used to call him old horse face, didn't we? So he'd maybe chuck some carrot sticks in his direction. Um, I, I think he would appreciate that, but, um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> by the way by the way listener if you should know that everyone's face is either a horse or a plate right that's the basic way it works some people have faces that come out a bit i'm definitely one of them some people yeah. have faces that are sort of more plate like so uh everyone's a horse or a plate Rue van Nistelrooy, definitely a horse um definitely yeah.
1: a horse and um, but, but but my main my main um throw It's quite an easy one, really. It it is towards the referee for being so pro Manchester United. I think there. I think he'd given eight penalties in his previous eight home games uh, at Old Trafford. He was the archetypal Homer, and he bought this decision. You know, it was was clearly manufactured from Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney's
2: driving.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for being such a chicken around Sir Alex Ferguson I would definitely throw a chicken drumstick or two (laughs) uh, in Mike Riley's direction I think it might hurt as well a little bit I think it might
2: I think it might if he gets the bony end I think that's fair enough by the way for anyone who doesn't know Mike Riley is currently in charge of refereeing in this country okay Uh, if you watch that video I actually showed it to my son who obviously hadn't seen the game and after three minutes he went turn it off dad I can't I can't bear it and I think that's fair enough really as as uh, Jose Antonio Reyes got fouled for the 15th time by Gary Neville before he got a yellow card. I've been a bit broader about this. I've opened it up a bit more modern day really. So what I'd do is I'd let the sausage rolls go really stale and then throw them at Bruno Fernandes and his ridiculous pouty stupid face just to see him go referee! go, Yeah, here's another one mate. Here's another one. That one's six days old. He is
1: irritating isn't he? He's one of the most annoying he's... players I think in the current game. Massively. Yeah.
2: Beautiful footballer. Uh, but incredibly annoying. We better bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Some... Southampton one, Arsenal one. I mean, like I said, it's a blip. It's a blip, right, Adrian? We didn't play particularly well after the first 20 minutes, and uh, we all looked a bit knackered. But nothing much to worry about or worrying signs. I mean, we haven't played particularly well in the last four games, have we?
1: No, I think it's catching up with us a little bit. The relentless schedule, and obviously Mikel Arteta has a very favoured first eleven, and we've been quite fortunate with injuries, so he's been able to just carry on playing the same players. And yeah, Thursday, Sunday, or whatnot each week does does take its toll, and I think that's maybe been evident in the in the last couple of second halves, in particular the one at Leeds. And the one at Southampton, there were some really interesting stats, actually, uh, that, that that I've stolen here from Harvey Downs, who, who works at Opta. Published this on Twitter last night about Arsenal's first half, second half comparisons. In the last couple of games, you know, our XG is half. It was in the first half, in the second half of games. But there's one really striking stat, and that is successful passes by the opposition that are in our final third. And across the last two uh, first halves, 43, hardly any. We've dominated, we've controlled the game, we've played in the opposition half, and we've created chances. Compare that 43 to 119 successful passes inside our, our defensive third in the second half of the last two games. And what's the reason? We haven't maintained it. We've dropped off the intensity levels, we've... Not past it anywhere near as well enough either. So that combination of sort of just being five percent lazier, more tired, you know, less intense in our off-the-ball work has allowed teams to come at us. Um, but 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 Mikel Arteta won't he won't have that. He's gotta just demand from the players the mentality of even if you are tired, you've got to push through it and you've got to, yeah, you've got to maintain your level. For sixty minutes, seventy minutes, eighty minutes, as long as you can, and then it's down to him to recognise it, isn't it? And who's knackered? Can I take them off, and can I put on someone that can do just as good a job? I think it is up to the manager as well to recognise who is flagging, maybe a little bit earlier too.
2: Yeah, ah, oh, they did look like they hit a collective wall, didn't they yesterday? I mean, I, I mean, I know in your article you talked about ruthlessness in front of goal, or or, or basically being ruthless generally as a team and taking the chances. But obviously that isn't going to happen every time. You just you know, you know, Gabriel Jesus if he's slightly more informed than he would be would have scored that chance in the first half. But in terms of the tiredness, we've talked a lot on this podcast about about Mikel Arteta's preferred first 11. He definitely trusts them way more than the rest, but he's going to have to take a view on that, isn't he?
3: Yeah, I think you saw even if you look away from the chances just when they had those moments where they try and string a really good sequence of passes together, they couldn't do it. Throughout the season, I think that's been almost a reset for them, where they just pass the ball around the back for a little bit, and then they go forward. And I think it was a moment in the second half where Saliba just, it's almost like he passes it blind, doesn't look before he makes the pass. And then um, luckily Adam Armstrong just Can't dribble for a second. But I think those moments were where you just saw the standard slip a little bit. And if you can't string those passes together, you're just going to lose momentum and control of the game. And I think that's where you probably look at the second half performance in particular and see where the improvements should have been. But as you say, it's not the end of the world because you compare that to the performance against Southampton last season And you you could still see Arsenal were better than they were that day in a few different aspects, especially the way they defended when they were under pressure with those long throws, those corners, that was how they got unstuck last year. And I thought, if anything, that was probably an encouraging sign that they they were able to kind of see out those, those storms in those moments.
2: This lack of control, Adrian, I mean, like you say, it's partly down to tiredness. I think we can all see that. Maybe also partly down to how Southampton switched it tactically, which you could perhaps explain to us. But do you not think also the manager has to take some responsibility and perhaps act a little bit earlier than he did?
1: Yeah, I mean, I touched on that just a moment ago, didn't I? I do think it is his responsibility to just see who's flagging and make those calls maybe a little bit, a little bit earlier with players that, that yeah that that maybe need a breather maybe just make one or two unenforced changes to that starting 11 just to just to freshen it up i think i think a lot of coaches do that and and it would it would lift i think players that have been on the sidelines to get that chance so we can't do anything about the schedule, but we can do something about the way we manage the schedule of those individual players. So, I think that'll be something to look at. Maybe we'll see a few more changes away to PSV. I know we won't want to give up that game because it, you know, we win win at PSV and or we draw can really, or draw. yeah, exactly, or draw and, and and we're nailed on to win the group. So, but personally, I would probably make a few more changes against PSV and 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 certainly leave Partey at home, maybe leave leave Saka at home. I would also leave Gabriel Jesus at home yes. just to, just to just to give him a breather. It's fine margins. We we should have won that game based on the chances we had in the first sort of fifty five minutes, but ultimately I think we were so so poor really in that second half that you can't grumble at the draw. And in a way, it's a draw that we wouldn't have got last season. I think that's the best way to view it. I think that's where Art's coming from. Let's just take the point, accept the fact that we didn't play that well in the second half, and and move on. On the goal i just wanting to mention that because it starts, or ours? yeah, their goal. So, so they, it starts with the goalkeeper. It really outlines what we're talking about about just being that five percent off, because we go to press and we don't press well enough. We're we're two yards off, and we get caught, and, it, and we get caught. And there's a there's a dummy. And it's a really good dummy from Southampton's point of view. And what it does, it, it pulls Saliba to right back, and it makes uh, Ben White end up in the centre half position. Obviously, he's comfortable with that, but in that moment. He wasn't. And and as the, as the move attacks, Armstrong makes this untracked run diagonally right through the heart of our midfield. And the reason he's free is because we play 4-1-4-1 4-1. and because Thomas Partey is the rock in there. And what happened? He was the one that went out to close the player, gets done by the dummy. And this is the danger of playing with one anchor um, because Xhaka's already committed. He's He's high up the pitch pressing. It leaves that big hole. And this is a, potentially a problem for us moving forwards and other teams will look look to exploit that. They will want to drag Partey away from the middle. Um, and when that happens, people like White and Saliba have just got to be a bit better and a bit more aware because as that move developed, Saliba hesitated, ended up taking the man at the far post. White hesitated and didn't even look at Stuart Armstrong on his run where he should have done and, and he, he goes into the box and, and scores. So that for me was a goal that... That was great from Southampton's point of view, but slightly worrying from our end, because other good teams will look to replicate that. And we've we've got to find a way to cope with it.
2: On on the other hand though, Art, when you see in uh, in the first half, I think it was when Partey intercepted um mm. one of theirs and gave it to uh Erdegaard, who who put uh, Jay Zeus in? Who did a little wriggle and got a shot into the side netting? You know when Partey wins the ball high up the field like that, we're uh, we're in, aren't we?
3: Yeah, it's it's a very high risk game, and I don't think it's a watching. bad thing. <laughs> I feel like when you look at the Man United defeat at Old Trafford, obviously that was Lacunga playing in the middle there, and you saw I guess the drop off in just understanding of that position. Uh, between him and Partey, because Arsenal, again, they tried to play high as they have done throughout the season. And that's not the problem. The problem is just when you get those finer details a fraction wrong, because then that's what opens up the space. So for me, I think, as you said, Ian, there is a definite plus side to it because when Arsenal do win the ball, in, in those positions, they tend to to move it really quickly and get into the final third and get a shot off. But then it is just about how do you manage those situations when teams are able to play through, um, which I guess they haven't had as much practice at because they've been very efficient in the way they've defended quite high up.
1: Yeah, it is risk and reward. But, but what we can fix is is maybe Thomas Partey's decision-making and, and on the, the game at Old Trafford, it was Samby. For, for the two United goals and obviously for the Southampton goal, our main defensive anchor is court wide yeah. ahead of the ball. So what? He's, I want us to carry on pressing. I don't want us to change the system necessarily. But Partey himself has got to maybe sometimes say, you know what, let them have it out wide. That's not going to hurt us there. They'll hurt us down the middle. So, yeah, I think he's just got to be a little bit more disciplined. I mean, he has been, hasn't he? He He's been tremendous. It's it's a
2: developing team as well. You know, we forget that that they are, you know, it's all come together this year and it's been absolutely fantastic. And there are going to be bumps along the way.
0: Hello, it's Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen here, otherwise known as The Offside Rule. We have a very special show. It's been 10 years of The Offside Rule. If you've been enjoying it over the last decade, you can get some extra insight. Yes, we have a really good chat about how the industry has changed in the 10 years and chat as well about some of the highs of recording a podcast as an only female trio in the football world and some of the lows as well. So join us for fun. We're also joined by Harriet Drudge and Laura Williamson from The Athletic. So check it out. That's The Offside Rule. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: White's cross. Oh, what a hit! That was absolutely glorious.
1: The Jacker finished with his right foot against PSV on Thursday. Side
2: Let's talk about uh, Granite, Erling Haaland, Xhaka, as we now call him, uh, free scoring. <laughs> that was some finish, wasn't it? By the way, I mean added to the finish you got on Thursday night against PSV, and then the one yesterday. He's having a great time, here, and right-footed as well. I mean, who is this man that is playing in the centre? <laughs> this
1: is field? imposter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I feel like even before his goal, he was Arsenal's best player. The spaces he was finding, and the fact I think. Southampton started with a four just meant that he had so much more space to go into and they weren't tracking him obviously they then changed and went to a five which kind of limited the space for him but that finish I didn't realize how good it actually was when I first saw it obviously. I'm kind of in front of it in the press box or behind it, whatever you want to say. Yes. And it goes in and I didn't realise how much of a kind of half-volleyed strike it actually was. Beautiful. Um, and the control we put on it on his right foot was insane. But it's just weird that with each game that passes, he's almost adding another layer to his game with every game, with every match that goes on. I think even in the PSV game, he did that little outside the boot oh. flick round the corner to Jesus and those little first touch passes and chops as well you've seen I think you're seeing someone who's confident and hopefully that confidence stays despite the draw at Southampton feeling like a loss
2: the other person uh, I wanted to mention as well uh, Ben White uh, did he pick him out, by the way, Adrian, do you think? I mean, it did look like he actually looked up and had a look and saw him coming in. I mean, he planted it. I mean, yes, the finish was fantastic, but that was some cross from Ben White.
1: It was, yeah. I talked about this on the Breakdown Live. It, there was just a little corridor that opened up for him, and it wasn't a very wide corridor. It was as narrow as, you know, you stretch your arms out wide. It was, it was smaller than that. And he had to feed it in at the right pace. And it was it was the perfect cross. And I did think that, that White and Saka played well in that first half. They combined nicely. And we, we got a lot of joy down that side. On the other side... Not so much because of the imbalance. And, and yeah, I just think on reflection, maybe maybe Tierney should have started a lot of the game. People,
2: a lot of people yeah. have said that because of his overlapping. Mm. And I thought he looked pretty yeah. decent when he came it's, on as well. It's
1: the balance. Yeah, I mean, he was very close to making the assist. Obviously, he overran the ball. It was just a fraction over the byline, wasn't it? Would have been a wonderful setup for, for Martin Erdegaard. I do, I do think that the Tommy Tomiyasu selection was was tailor-made for Mark and Salah. Out of the game, but as a first pick ahead of Tierney, I'm not so sure. Even, and that's nothing against Tommy, he's a great defender, but it just does impact the balance of the team. And having someone like Tierney that can overlap left footed. Free it, but what it does, it, it creates more confusion for the right back because they don't know where Martinelli's gonna go because Martinelli might pop up inside more often. And and with Tommy sort of back just backing him up. It's easier to mark Martinelli. And I think we saw that in this game. He, he wasn't as impactful. I mean, he was good at the start, got on the outside a few times, but he wasn't as unpredictable, Martinelli, in this game as he has been this
3: season. Oh, I think even with Tierney and, e and you've seen this season as well, mostly in the Europa League games, but also in the few Premier League games he's played, he's inverted a lot too. I think at Bodo away, I was just kind of watching him for a lot of that game. And he was in the centre circle for most of yeah, it. he was, um, yeah, yeah. Which was quite, quite fun to watch because you just... Again, he's another player where you're seeing him grow every time he takes to the pitch. And I think, to be fair to him, he's actually performed that role quite well. His passing has been really sharp and accurate. And he's still been able to get around the outside at times as well. So I, I'd like to see how that actually looks in the Premier League game at some point um, because we all know obviously it's great for him to to be doing that in the Europa League but the the test will be a bit different uh, in the Premier League so hopefully he's been showing that he can do kind of both sides of that uh, to impress Arteta enough to give him a chance in the next few weeks because as we know I think it's Six games in three weeks before the World Cup, so we'll
2: we'll, um, we'll get we'll talk about them because it is uh, yeah two Europa League games, uh, four sorry three league games and a uh, Brighton in the Carabao Cup, isn't it? Um, by the way, I know I mentioned Ben White if you want to see something awkward and uncomfortable watch a minute and a half of Ben White being interviewed on Swedish TV especially the bit oh, when, when uh, the guy asked him uh, whether uh, about Arsenal being bullied is it important that since you're now the league leaders obviously and, and a few years back people could say
1: ok if you go at Arsenal you can you can have a go um, is it important for you to not be bullied in, in matches like this yeah I don't think we were bullied um yeah, I'm not really sure. where we got bullied. No, um, it was phys- a physical game. It looked like yeah. Yeah. more okay. than more than usual, but no, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, not that I know but I've been playing in the season
2: this yeah. this year. Right. Ben White looks like he's never been bullied in his life. I mean, first <laughs> he wasn't all, having it, was he? He wasn't <laughs> having it, and I and I and I like that he wasn't having it as well. I don't think I don't think they did bully us. I mean, we'll get to the refereeing. I do want to talk about the refereeing. No, no, I do, Adrian, but I don't want to make it the focus of what happened yesterday because, in the end, it was a slightly disappointing performance and you can make a case, a very pretty strong case, for the draw being the right w- result. We probably deserve to win on the balance of chances and if we'd have got some refereeing decisions, we would have won, I believe, particularly the penalty on uh, Jay Jesus. but it wasn't about that. I think I think this podcast, we can't be coming on here every week, and that referee was rubbish. Having said that, he was absolutely terrible and I've seen him ref before has he done us before Art I think I've seen I've seen him but I don't think he's done one of our games and I Mm. saw him for another game and I thought he was terrible then (laughs) and I I don't I certainly haven't changed my opinion we didn't get the balance of the decisions did we no I
1: think so the thing that Annoyed me the most about Robert Jones in the game. There was the way that he allowed Southampton Central defenders to manhandle Gabriel Jesus. On numerous occasions, they had both arms around him, around his neck, around his shoulders, around his waist. And he just let it go. And, and if you give a centre-back licence to do that... They'll keep doing it. They'll, they'll, they'll keep, A, they'll keep doing it. But B, they'll push their luck. And they'll they'll be even more aggressive, and they were, and and he continued to let them get away with it. That's my main gripe. I actually, and I, I go against the grain with a lot of Arsenal fans here. I wasn't convinced it was a penalty
2: no, me on neither, Gabriel Jesus. To be honest, but, but...
1: because of the jump from Gabriel Jesus, I think if he goes down more naturally. You can maybe, if he falls forward, for example, as if he's been bundled over, then I think it would have been a more sympathetic view from VAR. But he jumped away in a very unnatural way. And I think, on the back of what happened with that Liverpool penalty, you know, the Liverpool incident, the furore around that. I think he paid the price for it there. So for me, it wasn't a penalty, but I know yeah. that the majority of Gooners would disagree. But I think they've got their red specs on,
2: personally. Yeah, no, I I agree with you because I saw uh, I saw people put the picture up of Jesus being uh, held by uh, by Lianco, wasn't it? Saying, oh, no, it was the other guy, the newer guy, whose name I, I forget now. Uh, and then there was a picture of uh, Scott McTominay holding on to Jorginho in the midweek game. Now, I think that was more of a, of a stonewall penalty than the one on uh, on Gabriel Jesus. But it wasn't just about that. Uh, by the way, he, uh, he did referee our 2-1 home win over Villa earlier in the season when he didn't give a penalty uh, to, to uh, Bukayo Saka when Tyrone Mings did a similar thing. And then Bukayo Saka also sort of jumped backwards a little bit and didn't get the penalty for that. Obviously, don't jump backwards with this referee. (laughs) Lads, this is Robert Jones. Make sure you make it look uh, more obvious. But this thing, going back to that interview, Art, uh, about how the umbrage that Ben White took over the fact that this Swedish TV uh, interviewer would dare to suggest that we were bullied... I mean, I like that attitude from him.
3: He's probably the best personality, I think. When you're looking at someone, obviously, it's a very small window we get to see uh, Arsenal players' personalities in these kind of interviews. But I think he's someone who, who just thrives in uncomfortable situations. And, and it's really quite impressive to watch because then when you see him play, you see someone who's comfortable within himself um someone who's not trying to be someone else. He's not trying to be a right back that's like Trent Alexander Arnold or Reese James. And he's not trying to be Tom uh Takeira Tomiyasu at right back either. He's just playing as Ben White plays. And I think with that you see then in his interviews he's very straightforward, very dry, very and 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 I just think that kind of contributes to even more kind of love towards him because he's not taking any i'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on here but i think we (laughs) understand the point you you understand the point um so yeah i think out of everyone he's probably the funniest just to see in those situations because he is such a a quirky personality
2: He's strong. I think he's got a strong personality. I've had audience members like that who just sort of stare at you because <laughs> because they want to. And you and there's not many that I can't outdo, right? I will crack him up with something, but Ben White you think will be a hard nut to crack, don't you think, Adrian?
1: Yeah, I do, yeah. No, it's good to have personalities like that and yeah, strong opinions and has his own opinion and and he's not going to he's not going to be a follower he's not a sheep is he but yeah he, he clearly thinks about football as well i think that that shines through when when you when you hear him talk he yeah he's an intelligent guy i think in my opinion he seems quite quite football smart for sure and um yeah and and that's probably why he's been able to adapt to this new role so seamlessly because yes. he's willing to embrace new instructions new ideas. But he's a
2: player, isn't he? Adrian that's the other thing. I mean if if oh, yeah. Gabriel Magalhaes, right, who I really love and I genuinely do. I think he's great and I'm so glad he signed a new contract. If he was playing at right back, I would be concerned. I don't think he has the the physicality, but Ben White he looks like he can play in that
1: position. He's a footballer, and, and this yeah. is why I'm I'm a little bit mystified as to why Gareth Southgate doesn't seem to rate Wrong. him because <laughs> because he's a very cultured. <laughs> no, but, I know, but he's he's a very cultured footballer in the Championship, and I know the Championship is 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 a you know big step down, but he was known really as as just a ridiculously accomplished footballer, not just as a a really smart defender. He he just stood out for being oozing quality on the ball. And he, he did the same at Brighton. That fact gets lost a little bit at Arsenal because of the talent that is surrounded is surrounding him. But he is a player, and um, and I think he's been a great signing. I know he wasn't cheap, but I think he's providing value Worth for money. money. I really do. Yeah, I
2: would agree. Uh, this is Handbrake Off the Arsenal Podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. Ian Stone, Art De Roche, and Adrian Clark here on Handbrake Off from the Athletic. We want to talk a little bit more about what we've got coming up in the next three or four weeks before the World Cup uh, starts. Uh, before I mention that, Charlie Patino. Getting serenaded by the Blackpool fans, just lovely to watch. Man of the match performance. They beat Preston four two. I've seen various comments on Twitter saying, "I don't." I think of some Blackpool fans saying, "I'm not so sure that Arsenal's the right environment for him. Maybe he should <laughs> stay at Blackpool for the next thirteen or fourteen years." Ah, oh, I mean, you've watched him grow up haven't you really? You've seen him come through from the kids into the into the uh, the reserve team and now he's playing this beautiful football at Blackpool. We do have a player there, don't we?
3: Definitely. I think last season was really interesting for him because he had a coach who'd known him since he was about 15, 14 years old in Kevin Betsy uh, with the under-23s and you saw throughout the year he was asked to do a few different things in midfield. He would be asked to to be the first receiver from goal kicks and be involved in the build-up play really deep. Then you saw he was given a bit more license to play almost as a number 10 and be higher up the pitch. And then probably second half of the season after his injury, he was more of a number eight traveling through midfield with the ball. And I think being exposed to all those types of, I guess, demands in midfield have probably been very beneficial for him going into first team football because then if he's asked to do any of those things Mm. um, by Michael Appleton, he has the experience to do it and we all know that he's got the quality to do it as well. I think just the big thing for him was coming through that little setback that he had with an injury, ankle injury at the start of the season and getting some regular first team football and then you can finally see that kind of consistency come through because it's not even, it's not just been, I guess, the goal and the assist that he got against Preston North End that have impressed, but he's also had really good overall performances in recent weeks. And it's just quite good to see that Arsenal have trusted Michael Apperton again with another loanee. And it's worked because I think it was two players they sent to him at Lincoln. They've also trusted Blackpool in the past with two players, Daniel Ballard and uh, Tyrese John-Jawes. And I think you're seeing the benefit of building those relationships at club level and finding the the right club that suits the right player.
2: I mean, it's not just it's not just him, is it? I saw Flo Balligan scored again uh, at the weekend and that was a finish as well. That was a finish for someone who's in form and confident. The future looks pretty bright, doesn't it, Adrian?
1: It does, yeah. I mean... Yeah, you want your players to, to shine on these loan spells, like Saliba did, uh, so that when they do come back, they're, they're ready to be involved. And yeah, it feels that the fact that Flo Balligan is shining so brightly in Ligue 1, um for a team that isn't expected to to score that many goals, is very positive. And, and I think that means that he'll come back higher up the pecking order than, than when he left, so... So it's a boost for him on Patino. I think now that he's had first team football, that's, it has to continue. He can't go back to 23's football now. He has to either be part of our squad or, or go out on, on loan again. But yeah, he's a culture player. I think he needed to, to sort of the experience of the championship to toughen him up. He's still a young boy. He's got plenty of time for growth, but yeah, the championship's tough. Watch a lot of football at that level, and it's not easy to shine. But he's got a he's got something about him that's for sure. He reminds me a little bit of of a player that came through at a similar time to me, um, Stephen Hughes. He, he, very cultured, left foot, left foot. I'd have said Brady, res- by
2: the way. I'd have said Neil yeah, yeah, Brady, well, and that is high. Well,
1: H- well Hughesy was Husey was compared to him at, at one point as yes. well. You see, so just lovely balance, good left foot excellent inside the opposition half with the with the ball at his feet makes good decisions so yeah I think, um, I think we've got a player He's, could it be Granit Xhaka's backup next season I think you think he probably could
2: not bad I remember going to a Goodison Park once the night before the Grand National we won 1-0 away at Everton and uh, Stephen Hughes scored the winning goal and there were only 59 of us who went <laughs> <laughs> We all got on one wow. coach. We all got on one coach. Anyway, uh, those are the days. Uh, as I said to you at the start, uh, Sky Sports described the draw with Southampton as a major setback in reference to the title race. Uh, it was actually Guy, our producer, who pointed uh, me in the direction of this. It is just a bump in the road, but obviously what we would like to do is get back to winning ways uh, as soon as possible. But but the good news is the afternoon got better, didn't it, uh, yesterday yesterday? We obviously already had Chelsea and Manchester United drawing uh, on Saturday night. Tottenham losing at home to Newcastle. So by the end of the day, I was actually feeling quite chipper. But Art, have our aims and ambitions changed given the start of the season? I mean, is it still just Europa League, win the Europa League if we can, or certainly get as close as possible and get in the top four?
3: Yeah, uh, apologies from my end, but I haven't changed my <laughs> objectives. You don't have to apologise.
2: You're absolutely right to not, if we're still top after 30 games, <laughs> we have to talk about the title, but one game at a time. But it's it's top four, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think people will probably, it's probably just Arsenal fans, I feel, that have been reluctant to say they've changed their kind of ideas. I know a lot of people have been making the title charge stuff's mostly been jokes from Arsenal fans. I feel mostly,
2: mostly. Who <laughs> genuinely thinks that we can get more points than Manchester City this season?
3: And then, but I think when when you look at this stage of the season, anyway, it's all about just building a good foundation to have a platform in the second half of the year. When you stay look, stay at- in it,
2: stay in it. Right, Alex Ferguson used to say, "If you're still in it in April, you got a chance." Yeah. So let's stay in it.
3: And I think when you look at last season, it was Chelsea who were top after 10 games, five points ahead of Man City. So that's just proof that it can still change a lot. But as you say, I think the kind of standards that were set in the first 10 games were very good. And if you can kind of hit the reset button now during this kind of stretch towards the World Cup, then that'll put Arsenal in a very, very good position.
2: Uh, we got we got six games as I said we have got PSV uh, away in the Europa League and Zurich at home and then we have got three Premier League games Forest at home Chelsea away Brighton at home and uh, sorry a Wolves away and Brighton at home in the Carabao Cup I mean if, if the squad is fit and firing I'm thinking we can we can get points and and quite a lot of points from those games and and uh, certainly. Win at home to Zurich, no points in the Europa League so far. Um, I'd be hopeful that we go through top uh, in the Europa League. But he does, this is what we talked about at the start, Adrian. He does have to rotate a bit. Where is the rotation? I mean, you said it earlier, you were saying leaving uh, Jesus at home, playing Eddie up front away at PSV, leaving um, Thomas Partey at home, playing Sambi in that position. Could we do more than that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a Zinchenko coming back, so so he can potentially come into the into the side. I I would consider bringing him back into the team in Granit Xhaka's position at PSV and play Kieran Tierney at, at left back. I think that would <laughs> effectively. Work on a number of levels. It gets Sinchenko up to speed. It gives Granite a little bit of a breather. I would definitely leave Thomas Partey at home. I thought he he looked tied in that second half. And he's he such did. a key man. Absolutely yeah. integral. We need him to feel good. We need him to feel good ahead of Forrest. We need him to be fre- fresh for that Chelsea game. Because he'll be huge in that for us. Yeah. I wouldn't play Thomas Partey in any of the, the cup games. I'd just play him in the three league games. Between now and the World Cup, probably something similar with Saka as well, and yeah, I just think we can afford to. We're going to we're going to win the group in Europe, so I think we can afford to take a risk or two in those two games. Um, yeah, where else can we rotate? <sighs> I think. Yeah, I think Saka and Jesus are the two that stand out. I think Nketiah and Marquinhos can come in and you know, in Europe and, and that's absol- absolutely fine. Or Fabio Vieira can play out wide.
2: Yeah, what about Martin Erdegaard? What about Martin Erdegaard in the centre? Because I was surprised he took him off because I still think even when we're not playing that well, he's still a wonderful footballer and some of the things he can do and open up defences. And I don't think Vieira's at that level yet.
1: No, I I agree. I I think Erdegaard in the Premier League is is he has to play in all those games. Um so yeah, no, I I don't think he's as in need of a rest no. as Saka or Martinelli. I do think, I have to say that, that that choice Arsenal made in the transfer window not to sign an extra forward that plays out that can play out wide or down the centre is coming back to bite us a little bit. You can see that now because Sakura Martinelli have had so much football. Marquinhos is obviously a rookie in that position. Eddie Nketiah isn't a wide forward. He's a centre forward. Um, so and, and with Smith Rowe out, it has left a little bit of a void uh, of options for for Sakura Martinelli. So that's something I think we should do in January. We should, we should dip our toe in and, and buy a, a wide forward. That can yeah. that can also do a job up front. I think that is the the one position that we're most in need of.
2: Oh, that was the next question, uh, which which Adrian has sort of expressed his view. I would I would completely agree about that. Do you feel the same way?
3: Yeah, I I know Martinelli is probably one of the big ones in need of rest as well. But for me personally, I I still see that central midfield position as more of a priority. Just when you look at the drop off between Partey and Lukonga. In terms of just understanding that role and the presence, really, in in that kind of lone anchor position. Yeah,
2: but but I guess, get though, yeah, that's, you know, that's, who, that's, who do you get? Who is gonna? Who's better than Samby in that position? He's a yeah.
3: very good who's, player, still Samby.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't that's mean not, for that. You understand what I'm saying? Who do you get? Who is gonna be happy to play second fiddle to Thomas Partey? Who's good enough? I
3: don't know. <laughs> and, but, but the thing you is, find
2: out for us and let yeah, us I'll know. Yeah, I'll try and find <laughs> out. But
3: the thing is as well, I feel like it's almost a similar discussion with that wide forward position because yes. you're not, you're not going to bring in someone who plays ahead of Jesus. Then do you knock Eddie further down the pecking order? Then you've got Balogun coming back in the summer and you've got Smith Rowe coming back after the World Cup, who's obviously not that type of player, but plays out wide too in a slightly different role so it is kind of a headache which I guess that's why Edu and all those guys uh, are paid so much to kind of figure it out but for me I just see that midfield area as a bit more important I guess
2: yeah in terms of control um well, it is a conundrum because you look at this squad and there are only two or three players off are properly challenging for the title, I think. And obviously, if they became available in January and you went, right, we're splashing out 150 million quid and we're going for it. <laughs> that, um, uh, yeah. obviously, but, no, but I'm, I'm saying that, that a lot of fans are going, oh my God, that is because you want to strike while they the on top because there is an argument, Adrian, that's the last season we missed out on top four because we didn't do exactly that in January.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, definitely. You've got to throw your weight around. When you're in this position of strength, in my opinion, you've got to go to it. If there's a player that we identify in the Premier League or elsewhere, but I'm thinking Premier League, that's having a good season that we think could improve us in either of those two positions, then we should make that presence felt in January, in my opinion. We're a big club. Last, last We're a huge club. We're seen now as, you know, a possible title contenders. But we've elevated ourselves... to to a position where we're we're almost the most attractive team to to join outside of City and Liverpool now. I think, well, I think we are. And we've got to use that. We're too cautious, too safe. Last January, we obviously were preoccupied with getting rid of Aubameyang and streamlining the squad. This time around, I think we should probably do the opposite.
2: Let's talk briefly about uh, Liverpool nil, Arsenal 2, the women's Super League game uh, yesterday morning. Pretty uh, relaxed win, for the women 12 successive wins now a women's super league record set the winning record in 2018 which manchester city equaled in 2021 haven't let in a goal this season well we let in one against, but okay we let in one away <laughs> at Lyon, <laughs> the european champions uh in our 5-1 victory things are moving forward very very nicely art
3: very nicely and i think What's really interesting from the past week, so the, both the Liverpool and Lyon games, is how <clears throat> how they've uh, been able to just throw Freedom them into the midfield and play slightly differently. Good um, finish that as well. Yes. Very good finish. I think having that option of someone who's able to travel with the borders will help them a lot more when they when they come up against those big European teams. It was something that they struggled with last year in terms of, Yes, Vivian Miedemar is great, but then if you're having her almost dropping back to take the ball off centre backs, that's not what she's there to do. Um, so slightly altering your game a bit, but keeping the same, I guess, principles. I, I think they're doing that really well, and um, hopefully they're able to kind of continue that momentum through through the coming weeks. And they've obviously got another big Champions League game at the Emirates on on Thursday coming. Yeah.
1: Is that, was it a record 10th WSL clean sheet in a row as well?
3: Yeah. So basically every time they keep a clean sheet now, it's going to be a record because they set, I think they set the record on eight against Tottenham extended it to nine against Reading and now 10 against Liverpool. I,
2: I saw some of the game yesterday. I watched the first half an hour. I had to nip out uh, for a bit. Um, and when I came back, it basically was the same game. I mean, Liverpool were hardly in our penalty area. So, uh, yeah.
1: I saw the stats, 15 shots inside the box to Liverpool's four shots inside our box. You know, it tells a story. On the defence, by the way, obviously we've got the two first-choice centre-halves out at the moment with Williamson (laughs) and Raphael. So Steph Catley and and lots of Woodward-Moy centre-back at the moment. So well done to to those girls too.
2: Great. Let's have a song to end. Um, My song is based around the... um The men's team, uh, I should say this right now, but we'll go to you first, Adrian.
1: I'm keeping it simple. (laughs) I'm going to go with Bon Jovi. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. The funny, I, chill uh, out
2: a little bit. Yeah, exactly, fans. exactly. It's a one-all exactly. draw away. A game we lost last year, by the yeah, way. Yeah.
1: Don't don't let your love turn to hate. That's one of the lines. You got to keep the faith. You know. <laughs> uh, you know. You're going to live through the rain. Uh, obviously, it's been pouring rain. You're going to have these days where you're just not quite at it. Man City have these days. Liverpool have these days. It's it's um it's part of a season. So let's just chill out and keep the faith.
2: So what you got for us, Art?
3: Out the way by Yeet because Southampton away always is always terrible.
2: Oh, and, out the way.
3: and I feel like now that that's out the way, I can probably be happy for the rest of the week.
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember going to Southampton away once on New Year's Day and uh, we're on the train at 10 o'clock and everyone's got a hangover and somebody went, Give us a night. <laughs> and the whole train went, Oh, shut up. <laughs> I think Not now, it's too loud. The thing about Southampton
3: <laughs> is it's It's not far enough away and it's not close enough to make it comfortable, a comfortable trip anyway. Everything about it is just wrong. So
2: It's out of the way now. It's out of the way. Uh, I'm going slightly left field uh, with my song. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen Blazing Saddles, uh, the Mel Brooks masterpiece. Uh, There's a song in there by uh, Madeleine Kahn just one of my favourite comic actresses, sings a song called I'm Tired. Uh, it's a sort of pastiche of Marlene Dietrich, and it's absolutely one of the funniest comic songs ever. And it's about how tired she is, and I felt it was uh, <laughs> apt for our boys this weekend. But you know what? They'll have a good rest. They'll be back on Thursday. They've got what? They've got four days off. It's like having a holiday now, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, that's it. Listener, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Adrian and Art, and thank you to Guy, our producer. I'm Ian Stone, and this has been Handbreak Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Have a good week.